All right, let's talk about what's happening uh, down in Washington. No better than to discuss with David Birdsell, the uh, great provost, Kane University. Uh, very good morning to you, sir. And uh, good morning. here we go again as far as uh, good morning. Uh, here we go again as far as the uh, Scalise uh, situation. We get another round in play. I'm just wondering, uh, uh, David, if Jordan doesn't get the votes, you think he pulls the Scalise and and says, you know what, the heck with it. Wasn't meant to be and withdraws his name or what? Uh, he certainly doesn't sound like a guy who wants to back down and let this uh, go to a democratic process in his body. Uh, and we've seen that in the threats that he, uh, and, and less so he, than people supporting his candidacy have issued to the 20 holdouts uh, threatening to run further right candidates against them. Some of them are very far right themselves. Uh, but dissatisfied with Jim Jordan for a host of reasons, uh, and some of them are, are, are differ from one another, whether it's about his stance on the January 6th insurrection, his possible role in abetting that insurrection, uh, and his inability proven over years, in fact, it's his brand, to compromise, and compromise is inherent in the role of Speaker of the House. Uh, so that's an open question. Does he want to put himself through the humiliation that Kevin McCarthy was willing to suffer with 15 balloting rounds? Uh, right now, he clearly believes that he can pick people off one by one, uh, making the kinds of deals that he has spent most of his political career uh, decrying, but that he will need if he's going to get some of these holdouts. Some of them, though, sound like they are not persuadable. Uh, I think about people like Mario Diaz-Balart, a member of Congress from Florida, uh, who said that he is uh, deeply resentful of the effort to strong-arm him, and he can't see himself moving. Uh, we'll see where this goes. There's clearly going to be a vote today. Uh, and whether that number of holdouts remains 20 or he begins to pare it back, he begins to pare it back, I bet there's around three and around four and around five until that number solidifies and you can't make any further headway. You know, uh, I don't know what's going on with the Republicans down there. Maybe it's something in the water. I, I don't get a sense anyone really wants to. I mean, I, I, listen, Jim Jordan wanted the job, but he's not getting the support. Uh Pat McHenry says, you know, in a pro tem position, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to go down that road. Uh, is is anyone else capable, David, of taking the reins and leading here in a time that you need leadership? Well, I, I, I would rephrase the question slightly, and that is, <clears throat> do we see leadership as an effort to lead solely within one party? Uh, which has been ever since the adoption of the Hastert rule in the late 1990s, and arguably since Newt Gingrich uh, weaponized partisanship in 1994 uh, in that House revolution that produced the famous contract with America. Um, and he forbade his Republican membership, even to have social relationships with Democratic members of the House. Uh, that has proven to be a recipe for unsuccessful management of the Congress. Uh, we need somebody who can lead across the aisle. And it seems to me, if Jim Jordan is unsuccessful in consolidating leadership under a right-wing vision uh, with an extremely narrow majority, probably no more than, uh, well, certainly we know structurally no more than four votes, given the representation in Congress right now, uh, but uh, perhaps as few operationally as two, maybe one, uh, depending on where the holdouts go uh, and how they vote, should there be a Jordan speakership. But what we need is somebody who can reach across the aisle. And I see it would not be implausible 
uh, for a relatively more moderate uh, Republican. I'm thinking of a Mike McFaul, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. Uh, I'm thinking of somebody that Democrats have worked with in the past, have issued joint statements with in the past, uh, to have a relatively more moderate Republican uh, who is interested in governance uh, getting into office with at least 20 and perhaps as much as 150 Republican votes and a large number, if not all, of the Democratic membership of the House. David, uh, is this just a sheer miscalculation? Uh, Matt Gates and, and the rest of his uh, cronies, you know, the Rosendales, Biggs of the world, the Maces of the world, was just this not thought out properly here? as we are in 15 days of not having a leader here? Well, I, I, I think there are two possible explanations of this. Uh, and the first is the more charitable explanation that these are folks who actually believe all polling, all voting in individual districts uh, notwithstanding, that the, that the nation as a whole sees the world the way that they do. Uh, you see Marjorie Taylor Greene, you see Matt Gates, you see others, uh, talking about the Republican base and reminding the holdouts that the Republican base really loves, pardon me, Donald Trump really likes Jimmy Jordan. Well, that's true about the base in their districts. It's not true about the 14 districts held by Republican members that were won by Joe Biden. It's not true in a much larger number of districts that are relatively purple might have gone very narrowly for Donald Trump in 2020. Uh, but, uh, don't have the same kind of saber-rattling rabidity that you find in Gates' district or Taylor Greene's district. Uh, so maybe it's a product of their mistaken projection of the political realities they face in their districts to the nation as a whole. That could be it. But I think it's more likely that these folks have never had any interest in government. They have had an interest in slowing government down, in defunding government, uh, in, in rejecting the possibility of compromise to move legislation forward. It's not always ideological. It's not always rational. I mean, we think, for example, about uh, a Republican Party and a Republican governor in Mitt Romney who advanced something that looked like the Affordable Care Act in Massachusetts and proclaimed it as a great victory for conservative approaches to health care. But then when it became a Democratic policy, they opposed it. And it was meaningfully no different at all uh, from what they had embraced earlier. So this is not about policy. Uh, it's actually an ideological position against the functioning of government. So in that regard, uh, Gates and Biggs and Taylor Greene and Chip Roy and all the rest of them, they win whether they get a leader who looks like them or whether there is total dysfunction and nothing can happen at all. And you don't have to take my word for it. Matt Gates has said almost exactly that. He's perfectly fine with the government shutdown. He's perfectly fine with a dysfunctional house because he says nothing happens here that's good for the people anyway. So I think this is ideology backed by a practical interest, however mad this may seem at a time when the world is beset by so many problems, that they actually don't want it to work. Uh, you get a sense, David Birdsell with us. I mean, how about this for absurdity, though? I was thinking this last night. You know, by not delivering as Gates's intention uh, was or is, uh, how about uh, Hakeem Jeffries, David Birdsell, as the next Speaker of the House? Uh, how much egg on the face of Gates would that be? Oh, that would be an extraordinary rebuke, uh, one that I think highly unlikely. 
I think a much more likely scenario involving Democratic votes would be to have a uh, a member of the House on the Republican side of the aisle with whom they could work. I mentioned the name of Mike McFall a while ago. There are others, uh, Don Bacon from uh, Kentucky, uh, people who have condemned the insurrection, uh, who did vote to certify the election, uh, are otherwise rock-ribbed conservatives, pardon me, uh, rock-ribbed conservatives, uh, but who who can listen to other people and at least entertain the prospect that there might be some grounds for, uh, for compromise. Uh, that could get a much larger number of Republican votes. I don't see any Republican votes for Hakeem Jeffries, and as long as Republicans are a majority of the chamber, I, I just simply can't see that happening. Uh, if it would happen, you're absolutely right. There could not be a more profound rebuke of the position taken by uh, the, the most extreme wing of the Republican majority in Congress. You know, and I still don't understand the selfishness, and it is selfishness, because... You know, you look at the world right now. You look at the world. Uh, you look at Israel on the brink of a full war. Uh, you look at Ukraine, their continued battle with, with Russia. You look at the uh, the situation regarding government shutdown. There's no question. Uh, that is in play here. Now, listen, um, you know, we got global crises beyond here. But right now, we got an old House of Representatives. And that is the most troubling aspect here. And that's why I say the timing, you're 20 days out of an election from a local standpoint. This has, that has an effect. That will have an effect as far as this going on. This is what goes on here right now. I look at our national debt, its highest has ever been. Uh, you know, listen, the spending and everything else, relentless spending uh, that has gone on there has contributed without question. And, and right now, Republicans, you know, they're handcuffed. They can't do anything here. And I'm looking at the calendar. November 17th is not far away. We're less than a month out of here. And uh, and by the way, you know, let's not forget some other sideliners here. We got an impeachment inquiry. That's on hold. And, uh, and right now, Gates has put a lot of people at risk with all this move. And I think Carlos Hemmings has said it best out of Florida. The match to the powder. That's what Gates has done here. He has lit it. And I'll tell you, the timing could not be worse for what's going on here, David. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Jay. I mean, it, it's it's fundamentally irresponsible. I, I, I like very much the word you used. It's selfish, and, and it's, uh, it's juvenile. Uh, the notion that, you know, you believe you're right and you're just going to hold your breath and everybody else is going to have to wait until you breathe again, uh, except you're not putting yourself at risk, you're putting everybody else at risk globally, as you say. Uh, there are crises that go well beyond the border of the United States, and we need to address them. Uh, but, the, you know, a member of uh, the folks on the right wing of the Republican majority have <clears throat> made the argument that they were elected uh, to... Uh, to in, in, enforce a rock-ribbed conservatism as they define it, uh, which is smaller government, which is, uh, you know, curiously among uh, Republicans who have long touted themselves, since Richard Nixon at least, as the party of law and order, uh, to defund the FBI, uh, federal law enforcement uh, in almost every respect. I mean, look at what Vivek Ramaswamy wants to, wants to accomplish. 
uh, as he uh, stumps the hustings on the uh, uh, in the GOP primary for the presidential nomination. And it, it's it's really quite extraordinary. Uh, but again, every member of Congress represents a district. You don't represent the nation. Uh, and it's a fundamental error even to think with the uh, support of a relatively small group of people uh, in, in your district that um, that that is your remit in Congress. You're there to compromise with people who were elected from the other 434 districts. And these folks can't seem to get that through their heads. Yep. Uh, so in essence, folks, Jordan needed 217 to get the win. He got 200. Akeem Jeffries got all 212 uh, Democratic votes. And seven Republicans voted for Steve Scalise, by the way, who had been the you know previous caucus nominee, failed to get the two seventeen. Uh, and you know a lot of people saying, well, if you ask Joe, why didn't Jordan get the votes? Well, you know Jordan didn't do enough to help Scalise win. I mean, it's this is what this is the the pettiness of thinking. What is going on from our leaders that represent all of us? You see, and that's the problem okay. here. And you know, I can't help but thinking about McCarthy, not the greatest of individuals, but all because he reached over the aisle to get some votes to keep this government funded, to make sure especially families and military got their paychecks. Let's not forget that. He reached over the aisle, David, and got a couple of votes. This is all about that with Gates. Couldn't take that. Well, and uh, I'll, I'll say what I said a couple of moments ago, that for Gates, keeping the government afloat is itself an affront to his agenda. Uh, he doesn't want that to happen. He certainly doesn't want to have any Democratic vote. Right? Basically, any position in his uh, universe for which a Democrat can vote is not a position that he can support. Uh, that anything that goes through has to go through on a Republican, Republican-only majority. And when you have a four-vote majority uh, in the Congress, that is a very, very tricky proposition. Uh, you know, I should observe, you're, you're, you're right about the people voting for uh, Steve, Scal- Steve Scalise. Uh, they, they'd argue it slightly differently. They said that, you know, Steve Scalise beat Jim Jordan uh, in the first party caucus vote. Uh, and then the, har- the, the hardliners refused to support him. Uh, and then turned around and made the extraordinarily hypocritical argument, uh, having denied the majority vote getter in their own caucus of the speaker's seat, uh, when he withdrew, they said, well, now it's your uh, duty, moderates, uh, as, as such, such as moderation uh, is in the Republican Party these days, it's your obligation to support Jim Jordan. It's kind of, well, if that's true, why wasn't it your responsibility yesterday uh, to support Steve Scalise? Uh, and it just speaks to the dysfunction of the body. But note that uh, about uh, half a dozen of those votes went to Lee Zeldin um, uh, as as a potential speaker candidate, uh, not in the Congress at this stage, but uh, somebody that they believed they could rally around. Uh, so there was a, a New Yorker uh, showing up in uh, some of those non-Jordan votes as well. And how about that? Yeah, you're right. That Long Island delegation of Desposito, Garbarino, and Lalota all voting for Zeldin. Uh, and it's basically, you know, with the salt, the, the salt tax and everything else, uh, and the support that Jordan did not give it. So, you know, they went, I mean, that gives you an idea. Three votes going by way of Lee Zeldin. I mean, my goodness gracious. Uh, and, and that to me just accentuates, uh, where we are at right now. 
as far as our federal government is concerned. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's a whole nother day with a wait. So uh, a final stamp on things today. Uh, I don't think Jordan's getting it. So in essence, what what is the outcome after today, you think, in the House? Well, I, I think I, I'm really looking at that number 20. Uh, if he's able to pair 20 back to 18, uh, 17, 19 even, uh, I think he continues to go after it, thinking they can pick people up one by one, and that some combination of incentives in the form of deals for pet pieces of legislation uh, or threats about running people in districts uh, will prove uh, the magic potion, and he can get himself, <clears throat> pardon me, to 217. Um, I'm skeptical that that can happen, but we'll find out what, what does. Uh, the question is, when does his accumulation of support end? It might end on the first vote. It might stay at 20, uh, opposing his nomination. Um, and if they go to a third vote and it's still 20, at some stage, he has to yield to reality. Those folks aren't going to change their minds uh, and 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 yield his position to whoever else wants to take up the reins. As you said earlier, there's not a lot of appetite for that. Uh, some people have described Speaker as the worst job uh, in uh, in Washington. Uh, it's also number two in line to the presidency. Uh, it's an enormously powerful position, but its power is based on the ability to compromise creatively while keeping your majority behind you. Uh, and that is something that no speaker on the Republican side has been able to do since John Boehner, uh, who resigned because he felt that he could no longer yep. do that. No question. And let's face it, Jim Jordan is uh, on uh, pretty much, you know, the main network as far as being the spokesperson for for all uh, that goes on there. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, the vitriol that comes his way isn't ironic. But, you know, in essence, when you think about it, Jordan was a part of the crew that facilitated the thought process of an election stolen. So, in essence, you know, a lot of people say, hey, is this the guy we want there at the top? You know, so uh, it's, it's funny how sometimes it just bites you on the old keister uh, as far as uh, what has gone on is certainly reflecting right now on Jim Jordan. One final thought before we let you go as you get ready for a 9 o'clock there, my friend. Just give me a thought. The president landing in Israel, uh, you know, some three and a half hours ago, meeting with Netanyahu, giving a statement, he said all the right things. My biggest problem with Biden is... Uh, I hope uh, he does not th- the thought is in Netanyahu's ear about backing off and everything else. Israel, David, has to finish this job. Complete extermination of a mosque. Listen, they're going to come back in some shape or form, but you must send a message at this point in time with the atrocities that have taken place. Are you in agreement with that? I, I am in total agreement with the elimination of Hamas as an agenda uh, and as a precondition for Israel's security. As you said, that's, that, that may be a very, very tall order because they're able to uh, slip into civilian populations. It's going to be very, very difficult to find everyone, uh, even those who choose to continue uh, to fight, but those who lay down weapons and decide to uh, fade away until they can come back and fight another day. Very, very difficult operation. Uh, everything that Joe Biden has said from the extremely powerful speech, uh, I think many people who have been strong supporters of Israel for years have never have said they never heard an American president give as full-throated support to Israel as Joe Biden did on October 10th. Um, 
And everything he said uh, before before leaving for Israel, after arriving in Israel, uh, continues on that same pathway. All that said, uh, there is a strong American and a strong, I would argue, Israeli interest in making sure that this is not, in fact, or perceived as an attack on the Palestinian people, uh, but rather to be focused on the combatants in Hamas. Uh, very tall order, and I do suspect that one of the things that he's going to do is not to tell Israel to back off, but to do whatever they can to present, prevent the civilian humanitarian crisis that many, many, many observers believe, uh, if it isn't already underway, looms as a very realistic possibility in an area with 2.2 million people, no water, no electricity, and no food. Uh, so lots to, lots to try to manage there. Uh, I think it's actually a bold maneuver on the president's part uh, to go over there at this point with no guarantee of success. Uh, but a clear display of American leadership, both practically and morally. David, well said. Uh, We thank you so much for your time uh, this morning. I look forward to the next time, my friend. As do I. Great to speak with you, Jay.